0: For a while, I actually thought I was white. I felt white. I knew I looked different, but didn't really notice it until kids started pointing it out. I think it was not until kindergarten or first grade, there was a more self-awareness. I'm not like everybody else. I'm different. That's when I started to be like, being Chinese is actually very beautiful. It was time for me to be proud of who I am it'd be such a shame for me to just hide a part of me. If you can't embrace who you are, how can you embrace others? So I think up to the day when I was able to be like, you know what, I'm just gonna eat what I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna have small eyes and you know what? I love it. I am Alice Sue and I'm a modern minority.
1: but we're no one's model minority.
2: This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Today, we're talking to a familiar voice that you might recognize. It's my good friend, Alice Sue, who has been on our podcast at least twice in the past. She has joined us for a panel discussion about education, because Alice is a teacher, and she also joined us for our very first Lunar New Year's uh, episode from last year as well. What I absolutely love about this conversation with Alice is that I've personally known her for over 20-something years, and I feel like I have learned so much about her, so much about what makes her tink, so much about her own childhood, and we spent a lot of time talking about food, which is such a big part of heritage and such a big part of culture. Alice grew up in Canton, Michigan, as one of a very small handful of Chinese kids in her area. So I think she had mentioned she's maybe one of two families in all of Canton of Asian descent, and her upbringing there really shaped how she felt about her own culture as she was growing up, and she tells a stories about bringing lunch to school and being made fun of because of just all the different flavors and shapes and colors and textures and aromas that probably came out of her bento box at the time, as many of you guys can probably relate to, and how she eventually, as she gets older and starts to realize that what makes her own identity unique and special is her connection to her culture. How she starts to embrace that and how that becomes such a big part of who she is. What I found to be the most fascinating about this is by the time I had met Alice, she was already in her 20s. Alice showed up at our doorstep kind of filling the space for an empty slot that we had in our apartment. So she was kind of subleasing from one of my roommates and Alice stayed with us for summer. She almost every night cooked these incredible dinners and she would make home-cooked meals and, and comfort food that her mom had made for her. So just these amazing Taiwanese dishes, tomato and egg over rice or steamed fish, or she'd just go all in and make like, you know, braised pork ribs and things like that. And first of all, I felt like we were the luckiest ladies in town because to have your roommate cook for you in your early 20s and having them be such gourmet meals was amazing. But secondly, it was just so interesting hearing Alice's upbringing, because I had no idea that for a large part of her childhood anyway, she kept a lot of that hidden. And the Alice that I know today is someone who's proudly Taiwanese-American, who speaks the language beautifully, who cooks these incredible, incredible recipes for all of her friends. And so to hear her journey, to hear all of the challenges that she had gone through and To hear how culture and heritage is such a big part of who she's become was just such an amazing thing for me as someone that's known her for over 20 something years. So I hope you enjoy this one-on-one chat that I had with my very good friend and hopefully your new friend, Alice Sue. Hi Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi Sharon, thanks for having me. Alice, I feel like we've had this conversation already (laughs) because we technically have, Um, but also because you've, you've been on our show now at least twice Mm -hmm. making your cameo appearances. And I'm really excited because this is a first real sit down conversation where we're going to get to know you. So thank you.
0: Thank you for being here. You're welcome. And I've been having fun.
2: Thanks for dealing with my terrible tech (laughs) Um, abilities. It <laughs> <As> happens <well. laughs> uh, in this modern day and age. Exactly. And Rum's not here with me today. So flag solo, uh, which is always a dangerous thing. <laughs> so, Alice, I've known you for over 20 years. We've known each other since college. And yeah, wow. And I feel like, I feel like I'm going to learn so much about you, but I just want to <laughs> like dive in. And I'm sure when people meet you for the first time, I bet they ask, where are you from? And so, Alice Sue, where are you from?
0: I'm from Michigan.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and how often do they ask you a follow-up question of where are you really from?
0: Oh, gosh. Like, all the time. I mean, if it's a stranger who doesn't know me, mm-hmm. yeah, most likely they're going to ask, no, 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 no. Where, where are you really from? Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Do you really want to know the town I'm from? It's a town outside of Detroit, <laughs> Michigan. No, 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 no. Where are you really from? I'm like, my mom's womb? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, you, you know what I mean. Okay, where, where is your mommy and daddy from? Right. Oh, right. that's what you want to know. Okay. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad are from Taiwan. And then, you know. (laughs) And then it proceeds.
2: It proceeds. So mom and dad, mom and dad are from Taiwan. Yeah. How and when did they come to the U.S. and, and why Canton? Like, how did that happen?
0: How do they come to the US and why Canton? Ah, oh, the million dollar question. Because I'm like, why Michigan of all places? <laughs> it's so cold here. Like, why not California? Right. Why right. not New York, where all the sun is and cool people are? Exactly. My dad, my dad had the opportunity to come to the US because his oldest sister came to Michigan. Uh, she followed my oldest aunt on my dad's side, had gotten married and her husband was a Ford engineer. So naturally of all places, they landed in where the big threes are, which is Michigan. And at the time, I think my dad, if my dad was not joking and was being serious, he didn't do that well in college. And I guess, you know, being competitive in most Asian countries, if you didn't do well in school, your future career, you know, will kind of just, you know, follow a certain calling. So I think naturally um, coming to the U.S. seemed like a better opportunity. Uh huh. So my dad ended up following my aunt to Michigan. Um, I think he got himself enrolled in a business program at University of Detroit Mercy, took some business classes and decided, you know, he wanted to pursue the business or entrepreneur career. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think that's, that's pretty much how he landed there. When did he meet your mom? My dad met my mom when they were in college. They're two years apart, so my dad's older. Mm-hmm. The story goes is my dad was helping one of his other sisters. So my dad is one of the youngest of six sisters. And my aunt was moving out of her dorm room. My dad was helping her. And then my mom was moving in to my aunt's dorm room. Uh So they didn't know each other. And I think it was just in passing of that, my dad was just helping move and then just made a pass on my mom, I guess. I was like, oh, you're moving into my sister's room. How are you? My name is blah, blah, blah. Nice to meet you. I'm Mr. Charming. Let's go out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Totally hitting on... Fresh meat. Yeah, the fresh meat in school. Exactly. Good for your dad. So this was this was back in Taiwan.
0: So they they met Mm -hmm. in Taiwan. yeah He didn't go to that school. So they were dating. No, my dad did not definitely did not go to that school because it was an (laughs) all-girls school. Got it. Got it. They dated. Mm -hmm. I heard there was lots of like visits because my dad was in a town two to four hours away. So lots of like just taking the train, meeting at the train station, my dad making fun of my mom not knowing where my dad was. My dad's like secretly sitting on a bench watching my mom trying to look for my dad. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So like I hear funny stories like that, but I really don't know what happened in between. It sounded like they dated for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like long time as in like years, as in like more than five years. Right. But I think... For a while, my dad came to Michigan shortly after he met my mom. Mm -hmm. So they were actually long distance for a while. Like (laughs) I think long distance for about five years or so, maybe less. I don't know. But I remember seeing letters or like little postcards and like little love messages from my dad to my mom. So I think they dated long distance and they didn't see each other much. I think one day my mom was like, "When are you coming back? I need to get married." (laughs) Like, hello, it's been five years. She's like, "I'm in my late twenties. That is really old for someone in Asia." Yeah, (laughs) come get me now, or I'm going to go meet someone else. Yep. So I think my dad took that cue, hopped on a plane. They got engaged, and then a few months later, he brought my mom back to the states, Mm -hmm. and then I think there were. Officially married, and then I came along. Yeah, and
2: I don't know anything about Canton except that it is spelled the same as Canton, China. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I've never been there. And you're 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 definitely one of the first people you know I've ever met uh, from that area. Mm-hmm. So, what is what is Canton
0: like? I just described this to someone a while back, um, not too long ago. Canton is very homogenous. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, quiet suburb outside of Detroit in Ann Arbor proper. But growing up, it was not very diverse. Um, everyone you ran into was white. Yeah. And were you the only Chinese family then in
2: your, in your neighborhood?
0: Actually, that's a funny thing. We weren't. Huh. So who were these other people? These other people were my mom's close friends. Yeah. I think because Michigan, especially in towns where there's not much diversity, people end up finding each other. So my parents were lucky that they had a very close, tight knit Taiwan community that they ended up meeting. Um, mm-hmm. and mostly I think through my aunt and my uncle. And I think they became close friends with this other family. And so. What most people do. If you have a town you want to move to, you want to try to get your friend to move there. So there was a new neighborhood where new houses were being built. My parents were finally getting upgraded from their tiny one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. And I think they, they found this community neighborhood. So either their friends found it or my parents did, but they decided they needed to be neighbors. So they were the other Chinese family that lived in the same neighborhood we did, but we were wow. the only ones for a long time. But outside that town, there weren't that many other community. The only other families I knew of was my mom's friend who lived four out houses down the block, and my aunt and uncle who lived in the next neighborhood like a five-minute drive away. Yeah. But at school, yeah, like besides the one other Black kid, mm-hmm. I was the only other minority. And then my younger sister, <laughs> we, were, we were the only Chinese people at our wow. school. Wow. So what was that like? What was
2: it like being part of such a small minority? Oh,
0: wow. It was weird. Mm-hmm. Maybe it felt normal for a bit. I think for a while I I actually thought I was white. Yeah. I felt white. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I looked different but didn't really notice it until kids started pointing it out. And I think it was not until kindergarten or first grade I there was a more self-awareness. I'm not like everybody else. I'm different. I'm mm-hmm. Chinese. And what does that mean? What would they do? You know, just stare a lot. Okay. I definitely remember kids looking at me a lot. I remember I was shy because I didn't know what quite to say. And also, I grew up with two languages. So mm-hmm. I think I would be confused too. I would be like, do they know Chinese too? <laughs> like, right. Right, And I think there was times I I can't remember, but I think in preschool or kindergarten, I think teachers were trying to teach me that I need to speak English and not mix it up. And I think there was times I would be like, maybe pointing at crayons and talking to kids in Chinese and thinking they would understand me, but they didn't. So then I just switched it to English. I'm like, oh, okay, they understand what I'm saying. But I definitely remember just being very observant of them. If that made sense, I felt like I was watching them a lot and just trying to do everything they were doing. I don't know if that's what kids did, but and then I started feeling different when kids started asking me questions like, why is your nose flat? Mm -hmm. And like, I think kids were just kids are kids, they're just going to be honest. But I think that along started feeling like, oh, I'm different. But does that mean? I'm not normal because they're pointing out all these differences in me, Um, my eyes. You know, there's lots of times the kids are like, why are your eyes so small? Or like, like, why don't you open up your eyes? And I'm like, my eyes are open. Yeah. So feeling almost like they're not making fun of me per se, but making me feel like there's something wrong with me. And I mm-hmm. feel like an urge of wanting to belong. Yeah. And I felt like I didn't quite belong. And knowing that from a younger age, I knew I was a kid, I knew I liked to play with dolls or like I liked the color like all the kids, but I just always felt like there was something off, like either kids wanted to play with me and talk to me, or if they did talk to me, it was like they were asking me questions that just felt kind of like, why are you asking me these questions? Why why can't we just play?
2: Sure. Did you do anything? Or what were the types of things you would do to fit in in those moments?
0: Oh, hmm. I think I would try to, like I said, I was observing them a lot, so I would try to, I guess, in a way, simulate what they're doing. Or yeah. you know, they're playing with Barbie dolls. I also needed a Barbie doll, and I needed, I wanted blonde hair. You know, I I wanted a pink dress. <laughs> I wanted to eat American food. I remember. One of my memories was like the lunch, the cafeteria. I remember having lunch and taking out my bento box out, like the million unpacking. Like I had my soy milk box. I had my steamed bun with the black soybean paste. And then kids were like, looking and staring and watching me carefully like I'm opening a Christmas present mm-hmm. and then lo and behold, they're like, what's that? I'm like, steamed bun. And then, they're like, is it good? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you want a bite? And then <laughs> they take a bite and they're like, ew, gross. And then I would bite into it. I'm like, it tastes good to me. And then and then one kid one day we're just like, oh, look at Alice. She's eating poop from her oh. butt. So mean. I remember that moment. I was so mortified. Like, oh my God, I can't eat my mom's lunch anymore. Like, yeah, my life is gonna be like this every day. Like, whatever I'm gonna take out of my lunchbox, they're gonna be curious about it. Mm -hmm. And then they're gonna not like it, and then they're gonna make fun of me. And so I just didn't like that feeling. I remember I was crying and I came home. I think my mom got it the next day or the next week. She like bought all these Lunchables. I don't know if you guys know what Lunchables are. Yeah. Yeah. Made by Kraft, but it's, you know, like basically Ritz crackers and salami yeah. and it's like whatever. the most unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but back then it tasted so, so good. good. As a kid, I loved it. Totally. Yeah. As a as a mom
2: today, I'm like, we, you can't have a lunchable again, honey. But yes, as a yeah as no. a kid, they were the best.
0: So good. And um, oh yeah, the Capri Suns. I remember. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm cool now. The Capri Sun coolers. I mean, they were really good too. But yep. Yep. and I loved all the Asian food. But I just that was the one thing. I think I just like I cannot go to school with this lunch. They are just going to rip me apart. As a kindergartner or first-year-old, I'm like, this just can't happen. Yeah. Which is so weird because it's just food. Like, (laughs) people can eat whatever they want. And I don't know, like, people who are different, you just, if people don't know, they're just going to find anything to make you feel terrible. Right. And that's kind of a little bit of the rhythm I got in elementary school. There was lots of moments of bullying I dealt with or just the mean comments about my facial features. So I had good memories, but a lot of my memories are of me being different and how I could try to not, how not to embrace my Chinese self
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how to just be as white and be as an American as they are so I could just survive. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting.
2: The food thing is often what we hear from our, our other guests. Mm-hmm. That is such a defining factor, right? Like, because that, in many ways, is representing home. You're bringing a piece of home into school
1: because oh, yeah. it's
2: something that your mom made, and it. When you're from a different culture, you're going to be bringing in different types of food, and it's often it's that element that can create. That difference between people and and that really kind of is a cause of stress, so your mom starts to buy lunchables. How long does this go on before she's like, alice i'm we're not doing this every day like or does it just kind of continue from there?
0: You know, I think it went on for a bit. I yeah? think also at some point, maybe buying this was expensive, so they my parents bought into like just buying the lunch package at school like oh, you can yeah. get pizza. Yeah. You can get hot dogs. Yep. I remember there was sloppy joe days. I yeah. loved sloppy joe days because like, <laughs> just never tasted something so good. And <laughs> we never got this at home. <laughs> but my parents are probably like the nutritional factor, just right. like, just so <laughs> shot. But like, if that's what it takes to keep our daughter from being bullied or being mm-hmm. made fun of her food, so be it. Right. Right. I think as I got a little bit older, I think slowly I allowed my mom to like include food that was just not as noticeably weird Mm -hmm. or strange. Mm -hmm. Where I would just learn to eat it really quickly or discreetly. Yeah. Just so I could enjoy it and just in my own peace. But what kinds of things do you remember from that period? The foods that my mom would pack me? Yeah. Huh. I remember that like, It's like the scallion pancake. Yeah, yeah. So that would be something that she would pack. I mean, sometimes she would pack peanut butter jelly sandwiches, which is not very Chinese. No, those are actually not Chinese at all. Just so you know, that's not Chinese. (laughs) No, no, no. But I think those are the few times like to kind of mix it up so people would get confused. Yeah, but no, the steam buns was definitely a staple. Like I I really I really love steam buns. They were my favorite. Mm-hmm. We just had to be careful to not fill it with the the black bean paste. Sure. So that the meat fillings was, you know, a little bit more easier, more palatable cuz it looks like meatballs. Sure. Yeah, and then the soy milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the carton soy milk was so yummy. Mm-hmm. I remember that would go in there. And, oh, the tea eggs. Oh, tea eggs. So good. Yeah. Taya done. Yeah. Yep. That was a little weird. I'm not going to lie. They're brown. So people. They're brown and the eggshell cracks, you know, that will show. Mm -hmm. So it has that marbled look. And kids are just like, why is your egg black or brown? They're supposed to be white. They're used yeah. to like the hard-boiled <laughs> eggs. So that seemed kind of like, okay, hard-boiled eggs are easy, but no, it's a it was a tea egg. Right. <laughs> but that right. would still get comments. But but yeah, that was um, those are easy. Easy. Oh wow. I'm just like, I need to make that. I need to pack that for my own lunch. Yeah. Make some tea eggs for me, Alice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and then there's like this thing called pork floss. So song. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like this dried pork flake. So my mom would be creative with like that would either go in the buns or like actually as a sandwich. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, you just filled it instead of the peanut butter and jelly. It's with like the pork flakes right. in the middle. Yeah. With whatever sauce or I don't know how she glued it together. Um really mayonnaise. I've seen yeah. it on like sandwiches with mayonnaise. Okay. Yeah.
2: The thing about pork floss is it looks like furry, looks furry. <laughs> what would you say? Almost like furry pipe cleaners, right? Yeah. I mean, they're For- kind of. I mean, they're they're they're, they're chopped <laughs> up, so not like as long as a pipe cleaner, but they kind of look like that. And I can see how <laughs> I can see how like to, to you know to an, a kid a like you know middle of America Canton kid Alice is bringing in these brown eggs one day. Yeah, she's got she's got steam buns with some kind of poo-like filling and now she's
0: very eyes <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> Like what is going on in that house? Yes. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and um uh dried seaweed. Dried oh, seaweed yes. which is oh, now cool. like such a popular snack cool. for like non-Asians totally. apparently. Still mainstream. But yeah the seaweed and you know it looks like black paper or you know like you get mm-hmm. one stuck on your tooth and then it's like right. But yeah, those are really um yeah, that was my basic lunch. Really yummy. I later, eventually, you know, getting to high school, I was more confident. Like whatever, fuck these. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I swear on here? You can, you can say whatever you want on the show. F these kids! I'm gonna eat whatever I want. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a younger kid, it was really, really hard. Yeah, lunch was just unbearable. I think there was lots of times I actually sat by myself because. Aww. The kids didn't want to eat with me or just, they would just, would not stop saying things. So the teacher would be like, you're just going to sit over here by us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me a story a long time ago Mm -hmm. about, this must have been kindergarten, but it was early in your elementary school experience where Uh they enrolled you in ESL. Yeah. Even though (laughs) you weren't tested to be in ESL and you... Were an immigrant, they just assumed that English was your second language. Yes, what happened there?
0: I don't know. I mean, they may they may have tested me because they had to show proof. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I remember first grade, this lady, and again, I knew her because the Chinese community was super small. Um, I went to Chinese school. So whoever you knew that was Chinese would just all show up on Saturdays (laughs) and gather, but lived really far apart. But I remember there was this lady, I can't remember her name, but she came into my class. I recognized her from Chinese school. Mm -hmm. And she says, oh, my teacher, Mrs. Mason, she's like, you're going to go with her for, you know, 30 minutes or however long you'll miss this much of class. And all the kids are like, why can't we go? We want to miss class. And I'm like, okay. I was like, just go with a nice lady. I'm like, all right. She brings me into this room and I'm like, what are we doing? And she's like showing me flashcards and you know, what is this picture? I would say it. I'm like, okay, are we done? She's like, yeah, all right. Bye. I'm like, see you later. I had no idea what we're doing, but I'm like, all right. I just got one on one time with this lady looking at flashcards and You know, like I get to play with these smelly markers and there's, I remember this mango. She's like, what's the name of this fruit that you smell? I'm like, mango. She's like, oh, mango. I'm like, mango, mango. She's like, mango. I'm like, all right. And I later find out she's the ESL teacher and I was confused. I didn't really know why I was pulled. I really think they needed a student. She needed a job and... I fit the demographic of someone who needed English as a second language. Wow. And it was interesting because I was the fastest reader in my first grade class. (laughs) And you were reading in English, right? I was reading in English. Mrs. Mason would read us James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl, which is still (laughs) my favorite. It's a great book. I remember there weren't that many pictures and she would always call on me to read. (laughs) And... It wasn't just to read one sentence; like I would read a whole paragraph or something. <laughs> and most of all, their kids are trying to, like you know, like read Cat in the Hat or Berenstein yeah, Bears. Exactly. I was reading. I was reading James and the Giant Peach. So, it's still mind-boggling why a first grader was going to ESL but was able to read James and the Giant Peach in first
2: Wow, grade. <laughs> that is crazy. And you mentioned, so this is elementary school. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that later on in high school or so, you became more proud of your Asian background. Yeah. What changed between that time? Like, what happened in your life or what was the moment that you decided to embrace it?
0: Well, I think family has a lot to do with it. I think, mm-hmm. I think my family. Knowing bits and pieces of what was going on, I don't think they were oblivious to the bullying that was happening to me. Yeah. I remember a lot of them were telling me to be brave or, you know, to stand up for myself. We went to Chinese school still. I wasn't like, I hate Chinese. I actually really enjoyed learning the language. And I remember watching shows and listening to the music with my family. And I actually idolized them a lot. I think. Knowing I was so different and dealing with the bullying at school, but then coming home, being able to have this other world that I was open to, like I loved the food, I loved the comedian shows, there was good looking pop stars to idolize. I felt like I mean like Michigan wasn't the only place I could live in for the rest of my life, so if I want to adapt, I still need to adapt to this culture or my heritage, but I had cousins who also lived with me. It's kind of like the full house effect. Mm-hmm. and I think just going through the whole bullying phase, there was a certain confidence at some point where we were just like, "You have to push back." There was this girl who used to pull on my hair on the bus every single day. Hmm. Um, I was in the front, and she would just yank on my hair so hard, like tears would come out of my eyes. Wow. And it was definitely not an easy period of my life, especially being in grade school. I don't even think I was... Yeah. I, this wasn't first grade. I was, I was a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. I remember being very, very upset about it. I think my parents actually pulled me out of that school and enrolled me into private school because of that. But there was a different reason they gave me back then. But I think once I got to middle school, just... Started just being more confident in my own skin. I think I learned who my friends were Mm -hmm. and who your friends would accept you for who you are. I think that's when I started to be like, you know what? You know, being Chinese is actually very beautiful. You know, people's ignorance, you know, they don't know. And sometimes it's out of jealousy. And I feel like it was time for me to just really embrace it and be proud of who I am. And we're just a, such a beautiful race and there's just so much to offer that it'd be such a shame for me to just hide a part of me. And I mean, physically I, I just look Chinese. So mm-hmm. I think if you, if you can't embrace who you are, it's almost like, how can you embrace others? So I think understanding a little bit more of who I am. Being accepting of my culture, being accepting of my food, not being embarrassed about it, I think Uh came along a feeling of like relief or like feeling free. Sure. I was like trying to keep up of like, I need to be like them. I need to have blonde hair. And I feel like it was always me imitating or me being somebody else who I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I think up to the day when I was able to be like, you know what? I'm just going to eat what I'm going to eat. I'm going to have small eyes and you know what? I love it. I'm going to have black hair and if I want to dye it, I'll dye it if I want to, but it's going to be straight and you guys are jealous of it. So be it.
2: Was middle school more diverse or was it about the same and it was just the thing that changed was was you yourself.
0: Middle school was a little bit more diverse. Mm-hmm. There was another Asian girl. Uh-huh. She was adopted. So that's that's 200% more diverse. Yeah. There was a few other black kids. So it wasn't just one black um, kid. Uh-huh. It was a few other black kids. Okay. And I think, oh yeah. And then there was a sprinkling of Indians <clears throat> so, yeah, it was a little bit more diverse, but for the most part, it was still very, very white. yeah um it wasn't until I got to high school where I got a little bit more diverse, but more diverse as in I was still one of the few East Asians. There was a few more Chinese that showed up, but the majority of the Asians were actually Indians, so more of my friends were Indian that were of my asian friends than of yeah. somebody else that was chinese other than my sister and my cousins interesting so
2: fast forward you know there's high school there's college i could, mm-hmm. we kind of knew each other in college because we went to the same yeah uh, we didn't go to the same school we we were in the same sorority so we sort of knew each other but you arrived in new york and you needed a place to live at the time i was literally in a one bedroom i think it was originally a one bedroom right it was only supposed to be a one bedroom One bedroom, one bathroom apartment that we were sharing with amongst four girls. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) True story, right? Yeah. And so our roommate who was living in the living room was doing something. I forgot what it was. Was she going away for the summer?
0: I think she was wanting to save up for the summer or like, yeah, was in limbo of deciding on something and so was subletting for the summer. Right. So she was gonna be gone for a couple months. I can't
2: remember. I feel like she went somewhere. I just can't remember what she was doing. <laughs> our our living room spot opened up and I posted this open vacancy. I wouldn't even call it a vacancy. I posted this like five hundred, not even five hundred, like two hundred square foot space in our living room for anybody that wanted to to check it out. And you showed up. Yep. Yeah. And you had just moved from Michigan at the time. Mm-hmm. And you joined our little crew. And it was you and then me and two other two other Asian women as well that we had kind of well, actually, no, you didn't know the other two, did you? I didn't.
0: No, no they were your roommates. But That's we've gotten right. really close. Yes. We definitely became
2: really close. But one of my first memories of you, so I didn't I, I didn't know you very well. No. I just kind of knew who you were and stuff. And I come home one day and of course, so this little apartment is always a mess because there's way too many people for way too little space. <laughs> and it's four women in their 20s and like literally we all have the same schedule. It's, it was like the silliest thing. When I look back on it now as, as, as like more of a grown up, I'm like, I would have organized this so that I was living with people with different schedules. Like maybe there's a bartender, you know, and maybe somebody that only works on the weekends, but we all had nine to five jobs. So we would all wake up around seven o'clock and literally all four of us would be in the bathroom together. So I know things about you that I'm sure no one else knows, Alice.
0: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And it will say that And vice versa. (laughs) Exactly. But like all four of us in the bathroom together,
2: sometimes sharing the shower anyway, um, and all of that. So very, very intimate relationships. And I came home from work one day and the house had been cleaned, like kind of top to bottom as if someone's mom had come. And you were in the kitchen making, I'll never forget this, tomato and eggs, Taiwanese style for dinner. Oh
0: my gosh. You remember that. I
2: remember this distinctly because I was like, "What? who the hell is this person? And Joanne is never being invited back (laughs) because Alice has now taken her spot permanently. (laughs) So jo- Joanne, if you're listening, I had a moment where I was like, no, you have officially been replaced, Joanne. But it's funny hearing you talk about the earlier time of your life because when you showed up, I feel like you were so in tune with your Taiwanese side. Like I actually, I actually would have probably pegged you as being a little bit fobby even. <laughs> <laughs> this would like, especially from a food perspective, but like you were into a lot of, and I guess maybe it wasn't just Taiwanese because I, cause I feel like you were also really into K-pop and, but you were really into like Asian culture and, and really embracing that. I'm just curious, like where in your journey did some of that come into play where like you became someone who literally would just like move into some new apartment in New York and just start <laughs> cooking Taiwanese food every night. I mean, it was so great. Every night you would like Maybe not every, but like a couple times a week. You were totally making dinner for us and just you were like the Taiwanese mom none of us ever had. Like it was amazing.
0: I know. <laughs> I was like, I was your private chef. You really were. Yeah. And 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 made and all of that. Like you'd be
2: like making our beds for us and stuff.
0: So um yeah, it's really weird that you bring that up. I never saw myself as being super fabian, super Taiwanese, <laughs> but yeah, I think. It's really weird. It could have gone both ways, right? I grew up in Michigan. So I could have been this like total opposite of like, I'm a banana, like just, I'm yellow on the outside, but white on the inside. Right. And for a while, yeah, I felt like that. I wanted to deny my Chinese roots when I was at school. But when I was home, I was just so Chinese. I think just my family, we just had a very strong hold on this is who you are. Mm -hmm. You're a person and we loved food. So going back to the food, I just, my grandma, my mom, my dad, my aunt, everyone was just such a good cook. All of our gatherings were around food on any occasion, Mm -hmm. food, more food, more food. I think that was the one happy place I had when I was home. Yeah, the comfort food as much as I had these awful stories of like what grade school was like and being made fun of and just trying to fit in. But I got a lot of exposure when I got to college. I went to University of Michigan. I remember, you know, one of the requirements was to take a history class, but like not just any history class. It had to be outside of your norm, like a sociocultural class. Mm-hmm. So I ended up science taking this Asian American woman class. And and it was just so cool because I was like, I didn't know there was Asian American women that were really good writers or like that were activists or, you know, just did so many great things and nobody ever talks about this at school. Like we don't learn about them. We learn about all the white people. Yeah. And that's where I got recruited. Actually, I got recruited to our sorority from another sorority sister who was taking that same Asian American women's studies class. And I was rushing for a sorority, but originally my intention was to rush for white sorority. Mm -hmm. And then I later changed my mind because I was like, you know what? I I just want to feel like I belong. I want to do something different where I'm not always trying to be someone else. Mm -hmm. So let me just try it out. So I think I really started embracing my... Asian Americanists during my time at Michigan in Ann Arbor, just meeting all the different Asian Americans from all sorts of different countries, learning about them and their experiences, how we shared a lot of the same experiences. Mm-hmm. but i I love learning like i I really liked being a student. I think it was the one thing I was good at, as much as I was going through a lot of hurt, I think. Just hiding behind books, loving to read and loving to learn about different places. I think maybe I fantasized running away yeah. to a different country. So like you can only survive in a different country if you learn to speak their language or learn their culture. So I think I just started embracing just let me learn as much about other people and different languages and cultures. But you have to know yourself too. So I think I started learning more about who I was Mm -hmm. during that time in college. And I think a lot of that came back to the food. And that kind of grounded me. I think food, like you said, like around the roommates, cooking for you guys, cleaning for you guys. I don't know. I don't know. The cleaning is something that (laughs) should always come along the territory of friendship. But...
2: Hey. It was beyond anything I've gotten from a lot of my other friends that I had known so much longer. Like you we were like a godsend. It was just kind of like it was almost like Mary Poppins. Like <laughs> you showed up, you were you like, you know, had some magic tricks in your little your little bag and then the whole apartment was always clean. You were always making food for us. You like found ways to do really tacky things like play board games and movie oh, yeah? nights and like you were that person, but I just remember, I always just remember all of the meals that you made and they were mostly Taiwanese meals. Like, you know, you were really doing some home cooking for us in in the deepest way. Yeah, and,
0: I think maybe because I missed home and mm-hmm. so so cooking something is a way to get that. Yeah. And yeah, like I also, I will say I... I hate ripping on Chinatown, New York's Chinatown, (laughs) but it's it's all Cantonese and like there was not good Taiwanese food. So the only way to get good Taiwanese food, if I craved it, was to make it. (laughs) To make it yourself. I think, you know, cooking for one, cooking for yourself is never fun. So why not? Like, cook for my friends and we were all poor anyway. So we were, we were so broke. Yeah, we're so right. The only way to share our wealth, you know, like if it's not buying gifts is to, I guess in my way, my love language is by sharing my food.
2: Yeah. I I forgot about that because yeah, we were at a place where Postmates and all that didn't even exist back no. then. Uber Eats, uh-uh. right? So no. it would be either going out to a restaurant in New York City, yeah. which is like way too expensive. Yeah. I remember going on dates just to get free dinner. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm admitting to that now.
0: (laughs) 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 But like, that would be one way to get dinner Mm -hmm. or
2: you would have to make your own food. Yeah. There was like not a lot of Not a lot of options,
0: no. Mm -hmm. And not a lot
2: of food Uh, options too because we lived downtown. Right, right. And this was like right after September
0: 11th. Mm -hmm. And so- Everything was closed. Yeah. It was a whole different city back then. Yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah, the other place to get food was happy hour. <laughs> That's right. That's free right. drinks and then maybe free like drink. a free pizza, or d'oeuvre, exactly. cocktail, weenie, hot dogs. Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
2: Or like, it depends on where you worked, but where I worked, you would get free dinner after 9 p.m.
0: Oh my god, nine p you have to like convince yourself to work late to get free I would
2: food. have to be I'd be in the office till after nine because I'd get a free cab home and I'd be able to like order sushi for delivery or something. <laughs> Insane. The things that you do when you're 20 nothing and broke, right? Yeah. So can we talk about personal life for a sec? <laughs> sure. <laughs> when you think about relationships, right? And you think about culture and Because that's such a, it's such a core of who you are and such a core of of how you share with people. Have you thought about whatever you're looking for out there? Like, is he also Taiwanese or are you open to other things? So that's question number one. Number two is, what are your parents thinking? Like, what do they expect for relationships in terms of culture?
0: Mm, Very good questions. And you'll get interesting answer. So to answer your question, is someone I'm looking for in my relationship Taiwanese? The old me, Mm -hmm. the old me that embraced my identity in college was, yes, he should be Taiwanese because if I can be attracted to someone, why not? You know, pass down the same genes, have someone or have children that looks just like me and the partner. Yeah. And that yeah. also killed two birds and one stone. And I think my parents would have been super happy for that. That's what they naturally would want. And that's actually what they said. <laughs> my dad, at least. That was on his wish list. But my dad, I think, being in America for so long and just wanted the best for his kids. I have a sister yeah. too. I think mm-hmm. happiness came first. So to answer the first question, no, I... Don't need my partner or uh, to be Taiwanese or even be Asian for a while, I did have that one. I think ideally, if they had everything the smarts the you know the same level of intelligence and funness for me and I'm attracted to them, yeah, like that would just be the top ideal situation mm-hmm. but I've dated lots of different people and i think over time i think it just it does goes back down to just who that right person is and it doesn't really matter who they are physically or if you share the same background i think having an idea and just being open to mm-hmm. loving the same food i think is important so they definitely have to love Asian food. Nice. Otherwise, no, no. Like you can't be a meat and potato guy.
2: So he has to be open to pork floss. He has to he be too. okay with friends. He has to like tea eggs. They have to like the thousand black
0: year old egg. Oh. Yes. Oh yes. Even those, those are even better. That is a deal breaker. Yeah. But I think now that I'm older and I think they no longer have to be Truly Asian. Mm -hmm. I think as long as we have the same right mindset and they like the food, I think I'm good. Okay. The second question, the parents. I think my parents are open. I think now that I'm just older, they just want me to just you know just go like just find someone, just find someone. Yeah, find anybody as long as he has a pulse. (laughs) We don't even care. Yeah, just (laughs) find someone that treats you well and that you can just be happy with and. We'll go from there. We'll take it. Yeah, But the yeah. the old them, or I can't say them, I can't say my mom, because my mom is pretty just, she's very commonly back. She never really even like asked about boyfriends. Yeah. It was more my dad. My dad definitely had his perceptions and stereotypes of different backgrounds.
2: Sure. Did you ever bring home anybody that wasn't Asian to meet them?
0: I have not. I think I knew not to. And I think I never gotten so serious with someone to have brought them home to meet my parents, but I did bring home a nice Taiwanese boy back then. And I think Mm -hmm. that made my dad very happy. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad having a conversation with like an uncle, like a, you know, like a friend. They were talking about the rankings of race that I could date. (laughs) Oh my gosh, really? So he actually went down there. Like I mean I mean, I feel like can I share this? Um if you want to. He went down the list. So like ideally, same like I just said, you know, naturally if they're Taiwanese, same background, we know their families also from Taiwan. We just share a lot of similar cultural and political beliefs and foods. Sure. And even education. But he says like, I know, I know that's a lot to ask, especially like we grew up in Michigan, right? You know, you can't just like mm-hmm. have her marry the only other Taiwanese American. Right. And he can't be ugly because he's also my dad's vein too. So Wow. That's a tall, <laughs> Taiwanese and good looking. My okay, dad's like, you know, criteria. like, it's like, you're allowed to be picky. You can be picky. You know, I'm not going to lie. We, we have good looks in our family. So you're allowed to, <laughs> you're allowed to be picky and not... Bring in someone that does not look good and carry down the jeans. Right. And then, second was, you know, second down that list of Asians, like it was East Asians. So he's like, so if they're not Taiwanese, then, mm-hmm. you know, then they could be Chinese, right? Yeah. Chinese came after that. Like when we're in this whole political stance, Taiwan and China, of he course. would say Taiwanese yeah. over Chinese. And then after Chinese, then it could be Japanese. Interesting. Which was interesting because if my grandma was around, definitely that would be right. a huge problem.
2: Yeah. My grandparents would be like, no. Japanese would have been lower on that list. Right.
0: So Japanese came. And so, you know, we love Japanese food. You know, Japanese has a huge, Mm -hmm. really influenced Taiwanese culture as well. Yep. And then third, then he's like, "Uh," and then he was like hesitant saying, he's like, then Korean by really with like, that would be the lowest, like the lowest priority and then the friend said like oh like he said i'm surprised you said korean after japanese and he's like yeah because koreans are known to be white beaters <laughs> oh lord and so like he's i don't blame my dad like that stereotype kind of carries on um sure and we we did know of a korean family and there was you know things that we would hear about so like mm. i don't I don't blame my dad for thinking that way. Yeah. And he was just like, you know, what's best for my daughter? I don't want her to have to deal with certain things that we hear about. Yeah. And then after that, then uncle's like, okay, and then like, and then my dad's (laughs) like, then, you know, like, I guess the darker colored Asians, like the South Asians can come along. Nice. And then, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. I I need to go back. No. So after Taiwanese, it wasn't Chinese. Then he said white. He said white would be his next
2: Interesting. Yes, okay. Yes. So I
0: totally forgot Then it's then it's white. outside the race. So yeah. Then, then he then just he went straight to white, and I remember him justifying this to the friend. Mm-hmm. He says, "I know a white man will treat my daughter well, because Asian men or Chinese men, you know, the stereotypes like will just not treat their wife as well as white men would. They would respect their wives more." And would just probably like treat him like gold. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's Wow. It was kind of like simple. It was like a simple answer, but kind of like, Total, it I kind mean, of made sense. Because he's like, well, we kind of grew up the way we did, right? Like, so we expect the wife to do everything. And he knew that that was, he knew that was like an Asian stereotype. And yeah. kind yeah. of had a certain way in the household. Mm-hmm. because of who they were. It's so funny. I've, I
2: don't think I've ever heard that version before. That's
0: the and it was like a cultural thing. Like I think him being in America, he saw how wives were treated by, yeah. by the Western culture and it was very different. <laughs> so, so yeah, and I remember he said that. He explained that. I remember very, very explicitly. So sorry, yeah. The next one would be white. And then, did your sister ever bring home a white guy? I think she did. Okay. I wasn't there.
2: Oh.
0: um. So it's hard for me to know what the reaction was, whether or not he was embraced. Yeah. But I know my parents acknowledged it because like his name would come up. Yeah. And so I think there was a trust that this man was going to be okay for my sister. And according to your dad's list, I mean, that's like second from the top.
2: So that's all good. Yeah. Like better him than, you know, someone from Japan. Oh, yeah,
0: for sure. (laughs) I think my dad was probably also thinking Generation Wealth. Oh, interesting. If I like need to put that in there without him bringing it up. But there probably definitely was that too. Like knowing that, you know this man grew up here or had ancestors, so they must have not struggled. Or if they struggled, they must have already struggled enough Mm -hmm. that they got beyond that. And like, so we don't have to feel that going into it if we got married.
2: Right. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Interesting, right? It's fascinating. Yeah. It really is because I've just never, I've never heard that breakdown, but I've certainly, I'm very surprised he went from Taiwanese (laughs) To white and then back to East Asian. It like, you know, that, yeah. that pivot mm-hmm. is unexpected. Yeah.
0: And then there's, you know, like I won't go down the list, but then there's like the little lower hierarchies that he kind of started. And I'm like, I don't even, yeah, I'm not going to even bother. It's too complicated. <laughs> yeah. I remember the uncle staring at me, like, are you going to bring one of them home? And I'm just like, I'm
1: scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness.
2: Okay. So if we were to turn back time, and we were to go back to little Alice sitting on the bus in elementary school or sitting in the cafeteria with your bento box. Yeah. What's a piece of advice
0: that you'd give to her today? Wow. It's not going to always be like this.
1: Mm.
0: You're not going to be alone. You're not alone. It will not be like this forever. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that's great advice. Because I'm sure in those moments it it just felt like it was never gonna be different.
0: Yeah. Right? It felt like time just was never going to end. Mm-hmm. I was like, when is this day gonna end? Or when is this when is this suffering or torture or whatever you wanna call it? When can I just be myself? Yeah. Yeah. And not feel afraid or like embarrassed or whatever whatever feelings I was feeling back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm
2: glad. I'm glad that you've discovered who you are and, and you've proudly been able to express that in different ways, whether that's cooking for your new roommates or anything else. You know, watching, watching all those fun. Soap operas and, and other things that you ended up doing later on, so I'm glad you did that. Well, Alice, we have I feel like I've gotten to know you even better, like even though I've known you for 20-something years. So thank <laughs> you for for going so deep with me. Oh, you're welcome. Are you ready for speed round now, Alice? Oh, wow. Speed round? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm all in. Perfect. And that's the wrong answer, as Raman would say. No one's ever ready for speed rounds. So,
1: <laughs> <Oops>.
0: <laughs> well, good thing Raman's not here. <laughs> exactly.
2: What's one thing about you that no one expects? I can get very angry really quickly. Really? What's like, how are you when you're angry? What
0: do you do? My face turns beet red. Mm-hmm. And I just get very sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, I just, I don't know. Something just overtakes me. Yeah. It's so. Have
2: you seen Turning Red yet? No. On Disney? Oh. You, know, you have to watch it. Okay. You have to watch it. It's a new, it's pretty new. It's it's probably been out for about a month now, but yeah. it's a new animation. It's all about uh, preteen girls. Uh huh. And the main character changes into a different. <laughs> Character and she—it's literally called turning red. But as you said that, it made me think of that. Really yeah. think of that. So I don't want to ruin the whole storyline for you. But sure, I think you'll love it. Actually, yeah. Okay, so you get angry. I'm so glad I've never seen that side of you. Yeah, I've actually never seen you become a monster like that. I I can become the Green Hulk. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. What is um? What's a book, movie, or television show with characters that you can relate to? Huh.
0: This one, I feel like I might get stuck. This is about the fire. <laughs> full House, <laughs> nice. Who are you in Full House? Oh God,
2: you're DJ
1: Tanner. Oh, you're
2: totally DJ. No, right?
0: I'm totally not DJ Tanner. <laughs> oh, who are you? Who are you on that show? Interesting. I don't know, Uncle Joey. <laughs> I have no idea. What? I, I don't think there's a character for me in there, but I just think my life was kind of growing up kind of like the full house of that.
2: That's funny. <laughs> no, Uncle Uncle Joey doesn't sleep on the couch. No. Which one of them sleep on the couch? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> they all have bedrooms in that house. They have a big enough house. That's true. That's true. Um, what is your favorite mom dish? Oh gosh,
0: wait, hold on. Can we go back? Amelie. Yeah, yeah. The movie, if I had to choose movie, Amelie. Okay. <laughs> like, I just feel like that's that was totally me. Like just wanting to go around and do nice things that like makes no sense. <laughs> and I have other priorities, but I know I just got to do something really nice. <laughs> 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 it's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. I love it. So what is your favorite mom dish? Oh, well, you already know it, Sharon. I made it for you. <gasps> Tomato
2: and egg over rice? Yeah. That's that's the Mama Sue
0: special? <laughs> yes, I would say that would be. Although my mom doesn't make that very often anymore. Oh. This last trip I made, I went home for Christmas. My new favorite mom dish is yofan. It's tiny, sticky rice. Mm, yeah. It is so good. What does she put in it? A whole bunch of stuff. I had to ask her. It's like, you know, there's no measurements. It's just... Right, of course. You got to put some shallots, fry it up a little bit, this a little dried shrimp, chop up some mushrooms, chop up some pork, marinate it, sticky rice. You got to soak it in the rice, soak it in the water first, then steam it. Then you like sauté it in the wok, then throw everything together. A little soy sauce, a little oyster sauce, sesame oil. Voila! <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, it sounds so good, it's so good. Oh god, my mom! I can't wait for her to make it again. And I don't know why. Like it's just it's kind of not easy. Like it's not quick to make. It takes time. Yeah, yeah. and you need all the right
2: ingredients. Yeah, so you have need the, the ingredients. Trim, yeah, yeah, you need all the special all the special condiments and totally. Yeah.
0: But I mean, if you have it, you have it, but it takes prep. Like it's not, like you have to do it overnight first, like of the soaking. Yeah. But yeah, for some reason, I just feel like I just miss that frequent smell of the kitchen that when my mom's making it. Hmm. And to this day, I think it's the one thing that I need my mom to make. I don't think I've been able to master making it myself, Mm -hmm. but that is on my list next. So next time you are... In the same living room as being your kitchen. Maybe that will be the next mom dish I make for you.
2: Amazing. I will, I'm going to book a night on your couch just so I can uh, have some of your mom's specialty. (laughs)
0: Let's do it. What is your least favorite food? I will not eat cottage cheese.
2: (laughs) Oh, I can understand that. I never really understood cottage cheese either because I don't understand when you're supposed to eat it. Yeah. Like, do you put it on crackers? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a weird...
0: It was strange. It was introduced to me in grade school mm-hmm. when I was trying to reject my Chinese foods. Yep. And embrace the American food. I tried to be as American by eating the cottage cheese. You were dipping it with like apples, like fruit. I think it was like in the salad bar. Yeah. So you yeah. either went on your salad or went on the side. And then I remember this girl dipping her apple in it. Like it was like peanut butter on apples, and she's like it's so yeah. good. I'm like try it. I'm like okay. Ugh. I was like Ugh. and it's like chunky. Like I just never understood chunky. It looked yeah. like curdled, oh. like spoiled rice or something. Yeah, and it tasted rubbery. Like it was like a mix yeah. of mush, but then there was like this yeah. rubbery, chewy bits. Uh huh. It just no. I and I tried it again. I tried it as an adult. I think a few years ago. Yeah. I think Whole Foods had like a. They had like some sampling of a cottage cheese maker. And Mm -hmm. let me just Mm -hmm. give it a go. Maybe as an adult, I can try it. You know, I can eat caviar. I can eat all the other weird stinky cheeses. Let me give cottage a try. Nope. Yep. Came right out my mouth again.
2: I stand with you on that. I, I had forgotten about cottage cheese, but it was, it really was like in the 80s. That was what everybody was eating. Yeah. Because I think at the time it was like, it was like the fad if you wanted to lose weight because there's mm. I don't know if it's like low fat or no fat, but it's it's supposed to be super healthy and it, it
0: it's so gross. Probably it's healthy gross. probiotics and the calcium, but and it's not orange like the craft cheese. <laughs> yeah,
2: but it's so gross. I can't eat it. No. Okay, I'm I'm with you. Plus one for cottage cheese. Okay, who's someone out there that you'd want to talk to on a podcast? Hmm.
0: I'd love to talk to Oprah. Yeah. Oh my God. What would you ask her? What is her favorite mom food?
2: <laughs> I feel like we could Google that and find it somewhere. I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna I'm find sure an article. I'm sure she's. She's probably talked about it. <clears throat> I'm sure. It's, I, I feel like it's got to be like some soul food, amazing, mm. you know, thing that her mom used to make for her. All right. Last question. What does being
0: a modern minority mean to you? Being a modern minority means being confident in your own skin and standing up for what you believe in.
2: Yeah, I love that answer. That's a great answer. Thank
0: you, Alice. You're welcome, Sharon.
2: (laughs) Alice, thank you for this amazing hour of a discussion.
0: Oh, thank you. My pleasure.
2: I selfishly feel like now I have something that we've recorded and that we could listen to when we're 95 years old and you come over to my porch and we're we're drinking like some homemade lemonade, amazing concoction that I've spiked with vodka and you make tomato and eggs over rice. Yeah. Can we plan for that? For sure. In like 50 years or so? Oh my God. That'd be amazing. (laughs)
1: I've been Ramin Segel. And I'm still
2: Sharon Lee Tony.
1: Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
2: We'll talk to you soon.